to the Inking of Immunity podcast. I am Chris Lynn. I'm a biocultural anthropologist at the University of Alabama, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Becky Owens from the UK Sunderland. Hey. <laughs> and Mr. Mike Smetana. Good morning. Let me tell you who we are actually going to be talking to today. Beverly Ewan Thompson is an associate professor of sociology uh, at Siena College her research interests are feminist theory, embodiment, new media, subcultures, ethnography, and I like that she puts this in quotes, deviance. She's trained as a qualitative sociologist, but she also incorporates a lot of visual media, such as video and photography, into her work. And she's made documentaries and videos along with the academic stuff she's published. So, for instance, she's the author of the book, Covered in Ink, Tattoos Women in the Politics of the Body with NYU Press, but she also has a movie or a documentary called Covered. Um, she's published articles and book chapters on gender and subcultures in journals such as Sexualities, Asian Journal of Criminology, Contemporary Justice Review, all kinds of journals. But on the other hand, she also has a Academ Inc. video series of the academic types talking about their tattooing. And so we're just going to actually further geek out because if you're looking at us, we're a bunch of tattooed academic types as well. All right, let's bring our guest on. Good morning. How are you? Great. Yeah, doing well. Let's start with the preliminaries. And um, I did a little introduction, uh, basically your, your blurb, your professional blurb. But why don't you tell us about you, you know, your background, and then in particular, we're tattoo researchers talking to tattoo researchers, but we got here two anthropologists and one psychologist. You're our mm -hmm. first sociologist on the podcast. Tell us what led you to sociology and then sociology of tattooing. Yeah, well, I'm originally from Washington State, Spokane, like I mentioned, and I actually skipped high school. I never went to high school. I, I studied in Mexico for a year as an early teen. And I was just kind of turned off by the institutional educational system. So I managed to, uh, actually I got a GED on my 16th birthday. I was sitting there taking the test. So I audited, my father was a math professor at the local college. So I audited classes at the local college, got involved in art galleries, in theater, you know, just working behind the stage as a teenager. And I started going to Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle when I was 16 and um you know screwed up you know flunked out basically i was in seattle though when i was 16 so that was awesome um but then i got real serious went back to spokane i got you know a, a community college associates when i was 17 graduated college when i was 19. got a bachelor's from my local school where my dad taught eastern washington university and then went on to san diego state where i got a master's in women's studies and then I ended up at the new school, got a master's in sociology, PhD in sociology. So I have five college degrees and my GED. So uh, that's a different track. But I, so my education has been very independent, basically. I really follow what I love. And that was, you know, feminism, activism, and just uh, whatever I was into. So I was into tattoos, 
Pacific Northwest, you know, I think that's kind of ground zero for tattoos in the US. And so it's just very normalized for me. But uh, I find the West East Coast very conservative compared to the West Coast. And when I go to the West Coast, it's just like, I can relax, you know, like, uh, it's just much cooler on the West Coast, much better vibe. It's like uptight here. It's tense. People are uptight. People are meaner, like, just, it's a lot, you know, more laid back on the West Coast. Really? Yeah, I find it. And even with tattoos, I find that the West Coast is more tattooed, more open to t everyone's tattooed on the West Coast. The East Coast, it just seems, I mean, and yeah, like we'll talk about that, but definitely times are changing. So you're saying that now or throughout that period or when was tattooing way more common on the West Coast than the East Coast? Because tattoos are everywhere. Yeah. At least in my recent experience, recent being about 20 years ago now, but. <laughs> yeah, maybe that time period too. I moved to New York in around 2000. So probably then, and I, I started collecting a few then too, but um, maybe just people are covering more skin on the East Coast too, you know, and, and um, like my mom lived in Vegas. So when I go there, it just, I'm just really struck by how everyone seems to be tattooed but um, but yeah, for the last 10 years, I've been stuck up here in Albany as well. So that might uh, alter the perspective. You know, I can definitely see your point that there's like a hotbed of tattoo synergy going on there that's not happening anywhere else. Would that be an accurate reflection yeah. of your experience? And I think with a lot of this tattoo stuff, I mean, things are changing so much. And maybe what was really impactful for me was when I was younger and mm. more sensitive and getting into it. And so, and now time is passing more quickly. But yeah, like I mentioned, you know, moving to Seattle when I'm 16, then, uh, and that's, you know, back in the day, like in the 90s. So that's really a, a great jumping off period for tattoos and in the Northwest. Um, with punk rock music, Riot Girl music. And I got, luckily stumbled upon the excellent shop of Vivine Lozanga for the first place to um, get my tattoos. So that was, you know, really lucky because that's a fantastic uh, women's shop. I, I guess I was kind of just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the perspective that you take on your research. So we know obviously you're a sociologist, those guys are anthropologists and I'm a psychologist. So when I'm reading it, I, I struggle a little bit, I guess, to understand it and to follow it because I'm, I'm looking at it from a psychological perspective. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could just kind of talk to us a little bit about what it means to, to look at it from a sociological perspective. Yeah, in a nutshell, I would say sociology is especially looking at institutions so social institutions at that level, and then how that interact, interacts with individual agency, with different demographic groups, really focusing on power and how power is exercised within that. Mm -hmm. And so from my perspective as a sociologist, I would say psychology tends to take the individual out of the social context and examine them more as if they live in a vacuum. And so that's the critique coming from sociology is that sociology really wants to put that individual in context of the society they live in, especially looking at power dynamics. Mm -hmm. So I'm really trying to look at institutions. And so a lot of the earlier ethnographies on tattoos focus on the person and their tattoo. 
and why did they choose that image? And that's the narrative. And so I just wanted to bring in more thinking about institutions. So the family is an institution. So I have a chapter on families. How does mom and dad feel? That's different than grandma and grandpa. That's different than your own children. How does the workplace interact with that? How does the military interact with that? The church, you know, the government, government regulations, how do governments regulate tattoo industry? How do they govern tattooed bodies? And then just different demographics, like sociologists really want to talk about demographics of gender, race, sexuality, disability, intersections like that. So how does that make it a different experience for different kinds of people? And also just the microcosm, which we call, um, you know, more symbolic interaction, just these interpersonal interactions and how these behaviors reflect the dominant power structures of our institution. You reinforce those powers through these two people interacting and then, um, or you can challenge them. And so that's more of the sociological approach. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me now. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and, and kind of going off that, just speaking of these themes of power and, and structures, I was really, I really enjoyed watching your documentary covered. Um, and that seemed to be a, a common theme with a lot of the women that you interviewed. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about your use of methods, this multimedia approach using documentary, video, photography, to kind of go along with your, your academic textual publications. So yeah, what, what inspired this approach? I think my personality, I'm really one of being a documenter. So I've always had journals. Back in the day in the 90s, you know, we had those disposable little box cameras. So I've always taken pictures and tattooing, of course, is a visual thing. So we really want to see it. And one of the exercises I do in my class is I, I have an image and I have a student like describe that image to the class in words. And then I have people imagine what they're describing and then we show them the image and it's like, is this what you imagined it to be? And it never is. So it's just extremely difficult to describe images with words. But if you show the picture, then especially a picture of a tattooed body, then it's like, okay, you know, I see it, I get it. Um, so just the picture is really important. And for me as a sociologist, as an ethnographer, as a qualitative researcher, my aim is to really collect stories from people and to share their stories. That's what I love to do. And I wanna show their story. And so uh, academia always wants to, especially sociology, that's another thing, difference with sociology and, and psychology is that sociology, and I'm an outlier, is very statistically driven. 95% of the research is gonna be statistics, big, uh, numbers. So qualitative research is a very small field of sociology. They want to make the people anonymous, take away their name, no revealing information, stuff like that. Sometimes my participants, especially the tattoo artists, they want their name in the book. They want their story to be told. They want identifying information. They want their name. They're proud of their career. And so then the IRB, you know, the Institutional Research Board from the university, wants that name out. And I'm like, the participant themselves wants the name in. And the university is saying, let's protect them, take their name out. So on my consent forms, I like to say, the participant chooses their name. What name would you like me to use in the study? 
And then I can say that within methods that the participant chose their name and you can assume whatever, is it, is it their real name or their fake names? So did you, uh, besides kind of that pushback from the IRB, maybe have you experienced any other forms of, of resistance possibly from, from within academia? Well, following with the IRB, of course, then they don't even want the name and the identifying information. So they certainly don't want the picture. They don't want the video. Then you're obviously revealing someone's identity. So um, yeah, there's a lot of pushback. That's Yeah, that's interesting. And I can imagine that. You can, so you can just put a photograph in your book. It costs money for the publisher. The publisher's like, we don't want any pictures because it costs money. But if, if you insist, then we'll allow 10 black and white pictures. You know, it's like, that's what I have in my book. You know, it's like, damn, these are, these are color images, you know, reduced to black and white. That really sucks. Yeah, it takes a, a lot of that context away. And that's something that we are interested as tattoo researchers ourselves. I think the visual medium really lends itself to a, a mixed media approach. Any wisdom possibly that you could impart on us in trying to incorporate these visual methods in our own work? I would say don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? The path of least resistance. They don't want you to do it. It costs you time and money to do it. But yeah, I spent a lot of money making that documentary and what a huge mistake. I traveled around the country. I met everyone in person. I interviewed them in person. I had a camera, you know, I spent a lot of money and money I did not have. You know, filmmakers might say, I fundraised my whole movie on my credit card. I'm like, like yeah, don't do that. So just start, you know, just make it fun now. That's what my aim is. Make short videos, maybe something you could use at a conference something that you could put on Instagram tag, associate with a story, but nothing too major. You know, you could, you could get away with a lot less. So unless you're totally just compelled to do it, then skip it. Yeah, I really, I really like that idea of shorts and using that as a way to engage not only people in academia, but also the wider public. So do you see that kind of being the future of this kind of work? And Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, look at what the pandemic and Zoom is doing to us with virtual conferences. And then they're saying, just record, you know, your session, your 10 minute session for the conference. It's like, why would you record a 10 minute session to post on this academic conference that no one's going to watch? Post it on YouTube, have lots of views. Video is the most watched content on the internet. And academics, you know, we write academic journal articles that no one reads. So I think, and my new aim is to translate all of my academic publications into short, engaging videos that I post on YouTube. Then people know about my work. They can cite my work without reading it. Um, they can read it. It's a lot more accessible. And I really, really want my work to be accessible because it's really discouraging to write academic stuff. You pour your heart and soul into it and no one reads it. And it's not because of the to topic, it's because of the form of academic writing, which by nature is super elitist and behind a paywall and boring, so boring. <laughs> How has your, your video versus your movie versus your book versus your articles been received on various levels? You've tried to promote them at? 
Yeah, the movie just, I mean, that was definitely a project of passion. And so that's what drove it. But in retrospect, it was too much work. It was too much money. And where did it really go? Back then, I was trying to get this movie into film festivals. I thought that um, digital film was really democratizing that industry. And uh, that's just not true as far as film festivals go. Now I wouldn't even aim for film festivals. Just YouTube is good enough. Just get it out in the world. So I would not do that project again. And academia really, you know, unless you're in arts, uh, they do not respect multimedia projects. Really academic publishing is the only thing that counts as far as your tenure and promotion. And so the movie was a huge, huge distraction from work, academic work I could have been doing. They say lip service to respecting it, but they don't. Because a documentary for sure would be equal to writing a book, but it's just not. So um, I would really focus your energy on whatever your objective is, getting promotion and stuff. Right now I'm at a point in my career, I, I'm going up for full professor. And now I'm going to definitely be going in a different direction. What you were saying, that's something that's just been going through my mind an awful lot recently that, you know, no one seems interested in anything that you do generally, unless it's in a published peer-reviewed journal. And while I say I understand why, I don't at the same time for all of the reasons that you've just said. One thing that I am interested in is what you said in Covered in Ink about um, the association between deviancy with with tattooing and especially for women um, and the association, it, you know, is it because of the association with masculine subcultures in women? And just wondered if you could kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think this book, and it came out in 2015 and the research is before that, you know, I start thinking about the first women tattoo artists that I interviewed when they entered the profession in the 70s. And so, for example, in my hometown of Spokane, Washington, my good friend whose, you know, tattoos I got early on, her mom and her father owned a tattoo studio. It, it was one of two, you know, back in the day in the 70s. And she said, you know, it's a lot of um, biker culture associated with tattoo culture and um, just a lot of men were getting tattoos. Women would get tattoos too. You know, she, she did the, the biker property of tattoos back in the day in the 70s. She said that she would do these tattoos on women. She would do it in pink ink so that later they could cover it easier. Um, <laughs> so she had, you know, her little subversive twist to it. But, you know, certainly women have always been getting tattoos, but perhaps they're more hidden, but you just don't see it as much in the visual culture. And, and I'm thinking early, like the 70s and the 80s, and then the 90s, it really starts to become a lot more popular. But, you know, in my book, I talk about this distinction of appropriate feminine tattoos, small, cute, and hidden for women. And then you cross the line, and you know you cross that line when you start getting social static back to you, like when people start saying snide comments about your, your body, um, they give you maybe a look or something. But, you know, some of my participants, women, you know, they have um, husbands that have tattoos and they don't get that kind of treatment. And so, and then some people, you know, the viewer, 
uh, will say things like, you know, you're such a pretty girl, why would you do that to yourself? And so I think that that sentence itself contains so much information, you know, like you're supposed to be pretty. Your uh, whole purpose as a female is what you look like and your beauty, and that's what you're supposed to be striving towards. So it's fine if you mutilate and torture your body as long as the objective is to be beautiful. But for you to put energy into making yourself unattractive to men, that goes against your entire purpose as a woman. And so you can have a cute little girly tattoo that accentuates your femininity, especially on a sexualized part of your body. But if you just have like, you know, a skull on your forearm, you know, then in this stereotypical image, uh, that's not making you pretty. And therefore that goes against your um, feminine nature. I guess that sentence as well, because it is something you hear quite a bit, isn't it? Oh, you'd be so pretty if you weren't covered in all of that. And it, it also implies that that isn't a way to beautify and whatever. <laughs> and you see that like women who do step out of those boundaries that maybe they try to recompensate by dressing really sexy and feminine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you see heavily tattooed women in tattoo magazines, they're all like, you know, glammed up, they're, they're wearing sexy clothes and makeup. Or when you see female athletes, you know, like they're feminized, then they have to wear like more sexualized outfits or accentuate their femininity so that they're not mistaken for men or lesbians or any yeah. other like, you know, violation of feminine behavior. Okay. And if you're chasing beauty and modifying your body to be more beautiful to the viewer to someone outside of yourself you know that doesn't grow your self-esteem you know that really makes you more uh, sensitive more depressed about what you look like and so it's just that for women who can who have the strength to go against those social expectations and say in spite of this context of society forcing me to look in a particular way i'm going to go against that and suffer the static and do what I want, even if people don't find it attractive. Mm -hmm. That's just a real sense of self. I wonder if, are we just appealing to our own specific subcultures and really even thinking about the gaze of people who don't approve? I'm just kind of curious if you think that, who are we trying to appeal to, I guess is what I'm asking. Is it yeah. still true that we are just thinking about a mainstream or do we think about our own peer groups and who we want to appeal to? Who is our peer groups? Who is, is it like the subculture that we grew up in? That's what I'm asking you. Because it's even different now because, you know, we're grown up and we, like we have all these adult responsibilities and our, you know, relationship to those kinds of, that's like our subcultures of the youth are so different now. Um, and now it's really based a lot more on your context, your demographics, your geographic location, your institutional embeddedness. It's those contexts. And so um, now I'm looking at more tattoos in the professional world and, and academics in particular, but it still applies to, you know, medical doctors, white collar workers and so on. And so who are we appealing to? Like, first of all, tattoos are not a protected class for employment discrimination. So you can and, and may be discriminated against in the workplace for your tattoos. And so you do have to be careful because you can be fired. There's no protection for that. 
but it's it's just different like academics we're dealing with academic stereotypes a different changing job market and so who we're appealing to in academia specifically are very very few people these gatekeepers these power holders we're worried about the hiring committee uh, who's on that we're worried about the the editor at the journal who's going to publish the article or are they going to say it's not serious or something you know a very few people read you know my book to approve it so the outside reviewers so there's just very few gatekeepers so that's what's really scary is it's just a handful of old white dudes perhaps that really have a huge power over you in academia yeah i mean really after I, I interviewed the 50 professors, maybe it's like, eh, it's not so bad. You know, like the medical institution is really a lot more discriminatory against tattoos. Lawyers, you know, politicians, uh, religion, corporate world. I think the corporate world is a lot more against tattoos than, you know, academia and, and so on. So, so I'm kind of curious what motivated you to take on academics and ink it's very meta yeah well definitely just my own insecurity of being a professor with tattoos and can is that allowed can you be a professor with tattoos of course you know my father was a professor too so I, you know i open with that kind of narrative device you know like my dad uh 94 years old and he to me is the stereotype of what a professor looks like but, um, you know, the demographics of professors are really changing, but perhaps the image in, in Hollywood movies, say, is still, um, you know, my dad. And so it's just makes some of us that don't look like that insecure about like, is this a place for us? Uh, it's a super hierarchical structure. It's a super elitist structure. It's not merit-based. There's a lot of privilege with identities and with social class and so on and also just thinking about the job market I mean if you get a PhD like there is no guarantee you're going to get a job in this industry and we we are not honest with grad students who are entering into this path and what a huge commitment for their life if you're getting a PhD there's a huge huge chance you're never going to get a job and if you're lucky enough to get a tenure track job I mean, you'll practically do anything for that. And so you want to look the part. You don't want to screw it up by going to the interview and offending anyone. And so, but then there's there's endless steps in this uh, career. And so you can never really feel secure, uh, especially pre-tenure. A, a lot of the faculty are older, you know, they're from a different generation and they really are not retiring. And so that mentality really uh, continues to exist in academia. You know, my dad, I, um, he hates tattoos. My dad just passed away um, recently, but he, he hates tattoos, but he also sees them. He's like, look at that guy over there. Like for the love of God, why would you do that to yourself? And so um, I, he knew of my first two tattoos when I was, you know, 18, 17. Um, and he, he, you know, hated it. And he hated that I was friends with a tattoo artist. And so I quit showing them to him. And I have hid my tattoos from my father my entire life. And I've worn long sleeves, you know, for 20 years around him. And now I'm sick of it, you know, like now I want to be able to have a place for me and I want to be able to 
be myself. A lot of your work kind of talks about this process of becoming heavily tattooed and and how that process can actually change a person, not only their own perceptions of themselves, but also how they interact with the world and other people. And we've talked about it a little bit here, but I was wondering if you could just go into a little more depth on that. I asked my participants a question that says, can you imagine yourself without tattoos? You know, and they say, no, like that's, that's a part of me. So that's really where that comes from. But as a tattooed person also, it's not like you're looking at your tattoos all the time. Like, you know, you forget about it. You're not, you're not looking at it. People, you know, your partner, your children, like they're not, they're not looking at it anymore. It's just a part of you. And then, you know, tattooed people look at pictures of themselves, you know, from the past. And it's like, oh, look at me then, you know, like before I did this added to my tattoo, like, oh, so that makes it part of your body. Just like any body development, you know, like disability or scars or, you know, pregnancy and aging, like whatever changes your body, like that's just part of both your physical experience and your, your emotional journey. I'm curious, the experience that you mentioned about being touched, about people wanting to touch your tattoos, I mean, I can relate to it because certainly my wife has told me stuff like this and I've heard it from other women, but I wonder if you could speak to that. Yeah, I asked my participants because it just seems like more women report being touched than men. And so I wonder why that is. And I hypothesize perhaps women's bodies are more like public property that the population can comment upon. People do have a tendency to touch women's bodies or, or comment on them, like say with pregnancy or I don't know, a shaved head or something perhaps. Uh, maybe men are bigger and scarier. And so they wouldn't, you wouldn't go up and touch a man, especially if you're a man touching a man. Would a woman touch a man? Maybe. But it just seems like people have the idea that they can comment on women's bodies more, especially coming from this perspective that you're violating these beauty standards. I just don't think that they touch men as much. So, so basically people report that when they're out in public that strangers might come up and grab their arm to take a closer look at their tattoo. People have talked about how like they're standing in line at the store and someone grabs the top neck of their shirt to pull it down a little to get a bigger glimpse of that tattoo. Even I would guess that women with chest pieces that some of them have reported that people have indeed reached out to grab their shirt to pull it down on their chest area just to get a closer look, a fuller look at that chest piece tattoo. Um, but people also, the viewer, especially the non-tattooed viewer, but even the tattooed viewer, kind of think like, well, you got that tattoo for me to look at, so it's my right to comment. And it's like, uh, no, actually. And so it's really just a question, and I use the term in my book of tattoo ethics. The only reason I would ever comment on someone's tattoo, perhaps, is to say like, I really like that style, you know, who's your artist? Like maybe I, that's someone whose portfolio I'd like to check out or, or just because it's, a, it's an image that really resonates with me and like, oh, that's a really cool tattoo. But for myself, knowing how that experience feels of people looking and talking about and commenting upon and touching my body, 
I really don't want to do that to someone else. And like, you never expect the level of um, people looking at your tattoos and what they're going to say before you enter into that. Like I asked my participants, did you anticipate that people would comment so much on your tattoos? And none of them did. I almost want to punt now to Becky because she's got the most visible tattoos of the four of us. As another woman, Becky, who's heavily tattooed, do you get touched? Not anymore. Um, and it's only it's only ever happened a couple of times and probably probably about 10 years ago now. But um, I don't know if I've just got that kind of a face where that just screams, do not even come near me. <laughs> So maybe it just scares people off straight away. But I was I was saying to the guys at the beginning when we were just chatting that I kind of I don't notice how other people perceive me or respond to me. And my husband used to say that he would notice people looking at like me arm tattoos if they were you know because it what it used to be more unusual for for a woman to have like full sleeves and things. And and I just never noticed. I remember a couple of years ago when I when I first started when I first got my full time lecturing job because I used to do it part time while I was doing my PhD and I can't remember why we were, there was a press release about body image or something like that that I'd I'd made some comments on and then all the local papers picked it up and published all this stuff about um a, a tattooed lecturer and called as inspirational and why having tattoos didn't matter when you were lecturing. And I was like, why is this even news? I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Another thing we have in academia is, you know, the student evaluations. I mean, no one comments on, my dad got one comment on a student evaluation critiquing his knit shirts that he wears ever no one comments on my father's looks you know like in the classroom That's so really why did they comment on you know everyone else so much yeah my my manager at the minute she she's been there for the whole time that i've i've worked there and she was a lecturer at first and um she she always wore really short skirts and big high stiletto heels and everyone would comment on how she looked and I can remember pointing her out to one of the students one day and I was like oh this is who you want to speak to about that module and she was like yeah I thought she was a secretary and I was like how rude she's like because she wears those tiny little skirts and I was like why would you presume that she is a secretary because of her skirts and and her shoes and I just you know women think about these things and I don't think men have to think about like how much skin they're showing Absolutely. Kind of bringing it back to tattooing a little bit and something that is interesting to me, it seems like whether it's a repulsion or a fascination, particularly people that are not tattooed themselves seem to be attracted to it. What special quality about tattoos draws people in like this, do you think? It's permanent. That's what's about it. Like, damn, you got that tattoo 20 years ago and it like you wouldn't choose today to have it there, you know, like it's it's there. Like your fashion, your makeup, your 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 you know, your choice of clothing and accessories you can you can change with the times, but the tattoo's there forever. So that's really diff you know, different about that. And so people are like, wow, you know, you really, you did that to yourself forever. Like, why did you do that? They want to know. 
and yeah, and and they just kind of have this curiosity, like children, like they just forgot, you know, politeness. And they're like, whoa, look at that tattoo. What does it mean? Let me touch it. You know, it's like, well, that's a personal story and it's a personal body part, you know, like get away from me. You know, we're just in the line at the grocery store. I don't want to talk to you. But then you like you're an ambassador for the tattoo culture, you know, like, are you a bitch? <laughs> like, oh, I'm representing the whole community. I better not tell this person to screw up, you know? I mean, some tattoo people, you know, like, they're trying to be edgy and, and stay in front of the mainstream. But for a lot of tattoo people, like they don't, they don't want to, you know, be commented upon every day. Like you, you're something that's unusual about you. You know, you just want to be treated like a regular person. Yeah, I think some some tattoo people are exhibitionistic and and. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. Is and just like my personality, like I'm not an extrovert. I'm not like exhibitionist. But definitely some of my participants certainly are. And some of them said, actually, I put these images on my arm so people will ask me about them because I want to talk about them. So, you know, definitely some people are. But um, as the viewer, just try to be, you know, as respectful as possible. As, as my son would say when I'm blurting out stuff I should not blurt out, read the room, Dad. <laughs> you know when I want I have questions about you know people and I, I want to ask and I think well is that polite or not and I was like you know what just um you know be friendly and and you know get to know this person and they will tell you that information when the time is right and when it's appropriate and when it's organic to the conversation mm. but if you ask them about it then you're putting them on the spot and you're creating this kind of dynamic um, and so I figure like the person will tell me about that when the time is right. I, I really, I really like the idea of this tattoo ethic and, and I think it's a good way to just approach interaction in general. If you want to know something about somebody, and I think this is particularly pertinent to conducting social research. If you want to know something, get to know the person. Don't just try to extract information. Yeah whole picture i i love sorry becky did you have anything no no i was just thinking that was really nice thing what mike just said <laughs> yeah yeah it's a nice ending i'm gonna fuck it up by, by <laughs> saying a few more things i love the complexity and nuance in how you describe the work and your work and then and it's a person-centered ethnographic qualitative account where you start off with shyness but then heavily you're heavily tattooed it's a it's a visual medium you do multimedia but also there's this constant navigation of personal boundaries and social space i just find it so fascinating so my last question was as a shy person who's heavily tattooed how do you feel about being interviewed on podcasts about your tattooing well it is scary and there is like i love to talk to people especially one-on-one -on -one maybe two on one, like maybe this is the limit, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't like to be in larger groups than you're fighting to have a space to talk. And if people, like if you're at a party or something and I'm not gonna force myself into the conversation, I'm just gonna be more quiet. And so I have to kind of be invited into it. And so in this situation, I'm literally invited into it. But I, I thought about 
especially like in particular this podcast, I mean, this is going to be a fun conversation with a group of friends, you know, like this is going to be fun. These are like my people. And so definitely like, I really looked forward to this conversation and, um, you know, meeting you folks and, and especially all of us being uh, academics interested in tattooing, like that's super awesome. And that's like what I love to do with my projects is I'm like a fangirl, you know, it's like tattooed academics. These are all the people I would want to meet, you know, like these are my, the people I want to become friends with. I'm going to do a project where it's like I get to cultivate who I want to meet. I want to meet all the cool professors, you know. Man, I could not relate more to another comment, I don't think ever than that. Uh, that is literally what we are doing here. Thank you. That is a beautiful ending for me. That's it. <laughs> Microphone drop. <laughs> and except that I have one more question. Okay, so what's next for you? Um, I have a book coming out on digital nomads. So that was more kind of an opportunity subculture that I stumbled upon in my own travels. People that work remotely when before everyone did uh, and travel the world with their freedom. And then, yeah, just some other, I just got an article accepted yesterday on the t television show Broad City in the Journal of Popular nice. Culture. So, um, really interested in that show. I wrote four articles on, on that show and three were rejected. And so finally one got accepted now that the show's been over for a while. Um, I have two articles coming out on sexuality topics. I did an ethnography on um, a dungeon of um, sex workers. So, um, and that's kind of one of my failed projects. So I'm really glad that two articles are coming out of that. Um, and academic, like I would love that to be a book, but I'm also trying to transition to popular writing. So I'm, I'm, uh, I have a potential uh, literary agent now, and I want to work on um, a memoir looking at mixed race identity and other kinds of uh, marginalized identities. Also in the future of my work, I really want to, like I do have a short article coming out um, in an Italian website journal on the use of tattooing during the Hong Kong protests. And so in the future, I would really love to look at tattoos in Asia. And so, you know, that's one of the places where tattooing is still stigmatized and uh, problematic. And so um, I'm gonna write about, you know, people adopting um, protest themed tattoos in Asia where tattooing is still heavily associated with criminality mm. and just um, not as culturally acceptable. And I'm especially interested in South Korea, how tattooing is illegal there because you have to be a medical doctor to do tattooing, but it's some of the most phenomenal work in the world coming out of you know, Korea. So I'm really interested in studying tattoos in you know, China, uh, Korea, other Asian cultures. We we have a lot of literature on Japan, and we we have a lot of you know understanding about Japanese uh, tattoo culture, and they only recently legalized as well. So other you know countries and and cultures are still uh, have really interesting stigmas against uh, tattooing. And in the future, I would really like to start doing some popular writing and not academic, boring journal articles hidden behind a paywall. I, I really I really like that. And speaking of a popular audience, uh, do you want to do you mind plugging your maybe your social media or your YouTube where where people can 
come and get this open access, more more accessible material. Yeah, um, most of my handles on are uh, Snake Girl G R R L. So uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook uh, under that handle. So much to look forward to. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank so you. Much. Thanks, Beverly. All right. And thank you all to my co-hosts as well. And we will talk to you next time. All right. Thank you, guys. Really thank, great to meet you. Thank you, Beverly. Good to meet you. Bye.